Good morning, good morning from Godly Divine Ministry. Pastor Casares, come to you with another spiritual myth buster. The Lake of Fire. What is the Lake of Fire? As you have known, as you have heard, as you have been told, it is a place of torment. But actually, what is the lake of fire? It is assumed that the lake of fire is a place of eternal torment or hell. That is the standard modern definition in most churches in America. But is that true? I read one person that, that believes the lake of fire is the sun in our solar system. Others think it is the magma core of the earth. Others in church history, even many of the early church fathers, saw the lake of fire as a spiritual place where everyone in mankind was purged of their unbelief and sin so they eventually believed in Father God. That is the universalist position. They teach that Father God is love. So when it says that God is a consuming fire, it must mean that it is a fire of his love. But I think I can show scripturally and logically that the, that the lake of fire is a symbol for the fires that destroyed Jerusalem in AD 70. But first, let's read an eyewitness to the fire of AD 70 in the city of Jerusalem. While the temple was ablaze, the attackers plundered it, and countless people were caught by them or slaughtered. There was no pity for age and no regard was was accorded rank. Children and old men, laymen and priests alike were butchered. Every class was pursued and crushed in the grip of war, whether they cried out for mercy or offered resistance. Through the roar of the flames streaming far and wide, the groans of the falling victims were heard. Such was the height of the hill and the magnitude of the blazing pile that the entire city seemed to be ablaze and the noise. Nothing more deafening and frightening could be imagined. There were the war cries of the Roman legions as they swept onwards in mass, the yells of the rebels encircled by fire and sword. The panic of the people who caught off above fled into the arms of the enemy and their shrieks as they met their fate. The cries on the hill blended with those of the multitudes in the city below. And now many people who were exhausted and tongue-tied as a result of hunger, when they beheld the temple on fire, found strength once more to lament and wail. The temple mount, everywhere enveloped in flames, seemed to be boiling over from its base, yet the blood seemed more abundant than the flames in the numbers of the slain greater than those of the slaves. The soldiers climbed over the heaps of the bodies as they chased the fugitives. And that was an account of Josephus, the Jewish war. So, among the tra tragic events that at this time occurred, the following is more particularly deserving of notice. A false prophet to be pretending to be a divine commission said that if the people would flee to the temple, they should behold signs of their speedy deliverance. Accordingly, about 6,000 people 
chiefly women and children, assembled in a gallery that was yet standing on the outside of the building. While they waited in anxious expectation of the promised miracle, the Romans, with the most wanton barbarity, set fire to the gallery. Multitudes rendered frantic by the horrible situation threw themselves from the gallery onto the ruins below and were killed by the fall. Meanwhile, awful to relate, the rest, without a single exception, perished in the flames. How to interpret the book of Revelation? There are many styles or types of writings in the Bible. Some are poetry and have to be interpreted, understanding that it is poetry. Some are prophecies. Some are historical accounts. But people sometimes get confused when it comes to apocalyptic language and try to start taking literal what was not meant to be. Apocalyptic language is exaggerated pictures, symbols, and metaphors that are designed to evoke heart encounters because our primary way we get meaning is through the heart and the main way the heart understands is through pictures. Many times it is filled with cosmic exaggerations like the sun going dark and the stars falling from the sky or cartoonish exaggerations like how Daniel has a vision of the statue with a head of gold etc in one chapter he gets another vision of the same kingdoms as different beasts like the jaguar and the leopard Revelation 1.1 says the revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave him to show his servants things which must surely take place and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. He at the very beginning of the book makes clear that this is an apocalyptic vision of revelation, which means an uncovering of something, someone, and that the angel is going to signify it. Tell him things in the form of signs. Uh, New Testament 602, Apocalypses. It's a, it's a disclosure, an appearing, a coming, a lightning, a manifestation, be revealed, or a revelation. That's a strong definition. Apocalyptic language mixed with signs that point. Those signs are usually the 400 OT scripture references that point out a prophecy event in the past, either that is being fulfilled soon, or it points out a scripture event in the past that will happen in a similar way in their day. Let's take Armageddon, for instance, Revelation 16, verse 16. And they gathered them together to the place called, in Hebrew, Armageddon. How many movies, books, and fearful things are taught about a battle of Armageddon? Do you know what that word means? It literally means Ar, which means mountain, and Megiddo. It refers to the mountain of Megiddo. Do you know what the problem with that is? There is no mountain Megiddo. Nor has there ever been one. There are a few hills and there is a plain of Megiddo. It has never meant to be a literally interpretation. Jerusalem was set on a small mountain, the mountain of the Lord. That's why it talks about going up to Jerusalem. 2 Kings 9.27 Zechariah 12.11 so this is a sign pointing to when a slaughter happened 
in the valley of Megiddo, and it means the same thing happening to them in Jerusalem. Megiddo is a place in history where wars and the bloodshed of kings took place. Second Kings nine twenty seven, two kings or Second Kings twenty three twenty nine, and historically, Zechariah prophesied it as well, using the same idea about Jerusalem. On that day, the weeping in Jerusalem will be as great as the weeping of Hadad Rimon in the plain of Megiddo. It was used by John as a figure of speech to say Jerusalem would experience death and war, just as in Megiddo in the past. So Armageddon in Revelation is not about a great end-time battle in our future. It was assigned to describe, in apocalyptic language, the destruction of Jerusalem in A.D. 70. In other words, just as there were slaughters in Megiddo in the past, now in John's day, Jerusalem, which sits on a mountain, will experience slaughter. What is the symbol of the lake of fire? What event in their past does it point to that the, that the generation that John lived John lived in was in danger of experiencing? Every Israelite, every Jew in that day, knew the history from the scriptures. When someone spoke of the greatest fire and brimstone story related to the judgment of a city, it was the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. And do you know where that is? It is the cities around the Dead Sea, which is a large lake, historically a lake of fire. Imagine John speaking of the lake of fire to his contemporaries. He would be warning them that just as Sodom and Gomorrah fell through fiery destruction, they were in danger as a Jewish legalistic system of ending in the same manner. He was pointing to the past in order to warn them that just as what happened in the past, a sign pointing. Jude verse 7 says uh, or uses the illustration of Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them to warn the apostate Jews in his day. Did you know that in the New Testament era there were still active fires and smoke around the Dead Sea according to Strabo? the first century geographer who called it the land of fires. A hundred years before Strabo, there is a record of a Jewish author who described the Dead Sea area. Wisdom saved a man, which is Lot, from a destruction of the godless, and he escaped the fire that came on the five cities, cities whose wickedness is still tested by smoking waste. Wisdom of Solomon 10 verse 7. <coughs> Excuse me. Diodorus Siculus, was also lived, who also lived in the first century BC, said, "The fire which burst beneath the ground and stretched rendered the inhabitants of the neighboring country sickly and very short-lived." A few years later, in the time of Christ's childhood, the Jewish writer Philo gave witness to the burnings and smoke that was still ascending. The fire is most difficult to extinguish and creeps on, pervading, pervading everything and smoldering. And a most evident proof of this is to be found in what is seen to this day, for the smoke which is still emitted, and the brimstone that men dig up there. But in the Bible, is Jerusalem associated with Sodom? Yes. In Deuteronomy 29, 22 through 24, the book of the law was a prophecy that one day they would be overthrown like the burning brimstone of Sodom and Gomorrah. The prophets multiple times say one day Jerusalem will be overthrown like Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 24, Nevertheless, I say to you that I will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom in the day of judgment than for you. But does Revelation teach that Jerusalem is Sodom? Yes. Revelation 11, verse 8. And the dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city which mystically is called Sodom and Egypt, where also their Lord was crucified. So everyone knew that the lake of fire was a symbol of the Dead Sea Lake region of Sodom. And Jude and John pointed back to it, saying that was going to happen to Jerusalem. Did that happen? Yes. In AD 70, fires ravaged the city, killing hundreds of thousands. But what about those eternal references? But someone will say, it says the fires will be eternal. If you look at Jerusalem today, it is not still burning. So it can't be about the natural city. And the devil is still around, obviously, right? Revelations 20, verse 10, And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So let's talk first about the language of, of day and night forever and ever. Scholars will tell you this passage is about the judgment of Edom, which was fulfilled in history, just as the prophet said. Isaiah 34, 9 through 11. And the streams thereof shall be turned into pitch, and the dust thereof into brimstone, and the land thereof shall become burning pitch. It shall not be quenched night nor day, the smoke thereof shall go up forever. From generation to generation it shall lie waste. None shall pass through it forever and ever. But the cormorant and the bitum shall pass it. The owl also and the raven shall dwell in it. And he shall stretch out upon it the line of confusion and the stores of emptiness. But the streams today are not still pitch, nor is the land still brimstone. Or do the fire still burn day and night? Why? Because it wasn't meant to be literal. It was apocalyptic language to evoke an impact on the heart with words. So to Revelation 20 is the same thing. Well, what about the devil? Okay, but what about the devil? Are you saying the devil doesn't exist? The saint was cast into the lake of fire? If that is so, then why so much trouble in the world? That really is a big question, isn't it? That is the one that people stumble over. So let's see. The word Satan just means adversary. And the word devil means false accuser. So who and what system was the adversary and false accuser of Jesus and the early church? The Jewish scribes and Pharisees tried hard. That they might find an accusation against the Lord Jesus. Luke 6 verse 7. Their false accusation of him was especially seen at his trials. Pilate's, Pilate's uh, question to them. What ac accusation do you bring against this man? John 18 verse 29. Shows the Jews as the ultimate false accuser of God's son. For it was because of their playing the ultimate role of the devil. The false accuser. That the son of God was slain. No wonder the ideas of devil and Satan are often associated with the Jewish system's opposition of Christ and his people. The same Greek word for accuser is five times used about Jewish false accusation of Paul in an attempt to hinder his work for Christ, which is found in Acts 23 verse 30 and 35, 24 verse 8, 25 verse 16 and 18. For instance, 1 Thessalonians 2, 14 through 16 says, How the Jews have persecuted us. Paul and his helpers, forbidding us to speak 
to the Gentiles. But Paul goes on to say in verse 18, Wherefore we would have come unto you once again, but Satan hindered us. The Satan refers to Jewish oppositions to the gospel and Paul's planned preaching visit to Gentile Thessalonica. Romans 16 verse 20, And the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet shortly. Did you get that? The God of peace who enforces peace will soon crush the adversary under your Roman feet very soon. <coughs> Excuse me. In AD 66 and a half to AD 70, that is exactly what happened in Jerusalem. The adversary, the adversary was, a, was a law system and the Romans crushed it. Specifically in the book of Revelation, Jesus calls him synagogues of Satan two times. So in AD 70, the Satan, the adversary, the law system, the devil, the false accuser, they sought to destroy Jesus and the Jewish believers. But it says that death is cast into the lake of fire. Well, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 3, where Paul says that the ministry of death was written on stones, which is the law, the Ten Commandments, and the whole system that supports it. Paul is saying that it is the law that brings death to the soul, death to relationships, death to being able to see who God really is. Then he says that when Moses is read, there is a veil over their eyes. But when anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. The veil is the law of Moses, right? Same context flows into the next chapter where Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4 verse 3, But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine on them. The law had become their God, which binded them. <coughs> Excuse me. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 56 says, The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. So let's go back to Isaiah 25, 6 through 8. On this mountain, the Lord Almighty will prepare a feast for rich food for all peoples, a banquet of aged wine, the best of meats and the finest of wines. On this mountain, he will destroy the veil that enfolds all peoples, the street that covers all nations. He will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away tears from all faces. Remember, Revelation is about the unveiling of Jesus Christ, the uncovering of Christ. What covered him was the law. The ministry of death. So when he swallowed up death, he was swallowing up the law so that all nations could know him as he really is. Death was cast into the lake of fire. What about outside the gates? Revelation 21 8 says, And too, and too fearful and un, unsteadfast and abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all the liars. Their part is in the lake that is burning with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Revelation 22, verse 15. And they were called dogs. Who were these people? These were not literal dogs, but it was referring to those under the law. Dogs, evildoers, the Jews who practiced circumcision. Philippians 3, verse 2 says, Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, which is a circumcision. <clears throat> Excuse me. Adulterers. Christ created a new covenant, but there were Jews who were there neither loyal to the law in which God had was their husband nor Christ who created the new covenant. 
In Revelation, it is Jerusalem who is a great whore. James 4.4 4 says, You adulterous people. Romans 7.3 So then, if she has sexual relations with another man while her husband is still alive, she's called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is released from the law and is not an adulteress if she marries another man. So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead. Did you hear that? What about magic arts, sorceries, those who preach the law? Galatians 3.1 says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you before your very eyes, Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed as crucified. Revelations 18, 23, and 24, By your magic spell, all the nations were led astray. In her was found the blood of prophets and of God's holy people, of all who have been slaughtered on the land. Murderers. They were children of the law. Ministry that killed. Matthew 23, verse 34. Therefore, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. What about liars? As we already saw, these were the devil's false accusers. Everyone not found in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So Revelations 20 verse 15 says, Anyone whose name was not found written in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Revelations 3 verse 5 says, He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. One of the most uh, misunderstood ideas in the church, the book of life. Most of us were taught that the book of life is the book that you get written in when you believe in Jesus, right? That was a song we used to sing. There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine, oh yes, it's mine. And the white-robed angels sing the story, a sinner has come home. But verses like this in Revelation made us believe that if we mess up, God will erase our name. It gives rise to speculation of eternal insecurity. So which is it? Names being written or blotted out of the book of life was distinctively Jewish old covenant concept that had to do with the law, not the new covenant. Remember when Jesus said to his disciples, Do not rejoice that the spirits are subject to you, but that your names are written in heaven. Luke 10 verse 20. Notice this is before the cross, before being born again, which means your name isn't written down in heaven when you say yes to Jesus. The new covenant had not even started yet. So the book of life has nothing to do with us today. The book of life had to do with the Jewish day of atonement and who would be blessed or cursed the following year. The Jewish book called the Book of Jubilee said there are two tablets, the book of life for the righteous and the book of death for the adversaries of God. It says that those who create evil against their neighbors will be blotted out of the book. The book of Enoch said the book of life was about those under the law system. When one reads the words of Jesus and Revelation through the lens of AD 70, it becomes clear who was being blotted out. The book of life speaks of books in heaven, not going to heaven. The Jews would teach that today. We have seen over and over that the unbelieving Jews were persecuting and killing their believing Jewish brothers and sisters. 
When God spoke to Moses about their eschatology as a people, which was fulfilled in A.D. 70, notice atonement for the land. Deuteronomy 32 verse 43 says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people, for he will avenge the blood of his servants and render vengeance to his adversaries. He will provide atonement for his land and his people. That is what Isaiah is speaking of when he speaks of the judgment on Jerusalem in A.D. 70 and the Book of Life. Isaiah 4, or Isaiah 4, 4 verse 2 In that day the branch of the Lord shall be beautiful and glorious, and the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remains in Jerusalem will be called holy. Everyone who is reigned unto life in Jerusalem. When the Lord was has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning. Finally, this is verified in Jan Daniel 12, where an angel lifts both hands to God and swears to Daniel that all the things he spoke of, including the books being opened, would take place in a three-and-a-half-year period where Jerusalem was under siege by Rome. He promises that Daniel's people, believing Israel, this is a Jewish concept promise to them, would be delivered. Daniel 12 verse 1, At the time of Michael shall stand up. At that time Michael shall stand up. The great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people. And there shall be a time of trouble, such as never was since there was a nation, even to that time. And at that time your people shall be delivered or saved. Everyone who is found written in the book, the book of life, last Jewish day of atonement. Then I heard the man clothed in linen who was above the waters of the river, when he held up his right hand and his left hand to heaven, and swore by him who lives forever, that it shall be for a time, times and half a time. And when the power of the holy people has been completely shattered, all these things shall be finished. The book is about Daniel's people. The book of life speaks... In of books in heaven, not going to heaven. Only one generation applies to A.D. 70. The Jews not written in the book of life died in the fires of Jerusalem. So that is good news, friends. While there is no more space on this podcast to cover an additional important point, let me just answer one simple question. What happens to all then? In the light of of the gaze of the perfection of love, every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. And as John said, when we see him, we will become like him, for we shall see him as he is. There's no such thing as a lake of fire in your future, no such thing as an eternal hell. And I know many of you are going to hate me for this podcast. But I'm telling you right now, there is no such thing as a lake of fire. Sometimes I believe that as we become messengers of the word with truth, 100% truth, I believe we become the lake of fire for the unbelievers due to the fact that his word or God is a consuming fire. And as we believe that God and Christ and us are one. If God is a consuming fire, God is within you, 
and you become a messenger of truth or of the gospel, which is the good news, then you become a lake of fire for those. But that's another theory for another day. Men and women of God, or maybe you don't believe in God. Maybe you're all of a sudden you listen to this podcast and are thinking, wow, there's no lake of fire, there's no hell. Then what happens to bad people? Well, every knee shall bow. Every knee will confess, or every mouth will shall confess that Jesus is Lord. When Christ resurrected, he resurrected into all mankind. He was the second Adam. But many of those people that do bad things or bad behaviors, or as many pastors say, the sinners, they're blind to the truth because nobody has told them the truth. They act on a mistaken identity and a false image of who they are, and that's why bad behaviors occur. But I'm telling you right now, if you doing if you are doing bad behaviors, if you are acting out in a false image of who you truly are, then you just live in a mistaken identity. If you die while doing something evil, well, that was a consequence for that evil doing. If you say you're driving drunk, well, there's a consequences. There's consequences for driving drunk. You can kill somebody. You can kill yourself. And if you die being drunk, well, that's the end of your life on this earth. Does that mean that you'll be burning in hell? Hey, all I can say is this. There's no lake of fire and there's no hell. Until then, from Godly Divine Ministry, we bless you.